Hello, everyone. Welcome back to what I think is a very special episode of Uncanny Tracks, but uh, Matt thinks probably is an unspecial episode of uh, Uncanny Tracks. It's our new annual tradition. It's Bob's top 10 film list for the year 2023. Oh, boy. It's that time again. A lot of films nobody's heard of. Hateful. Hateful. <laughs> so I'm Bob in Cascadia. That's Matt in the Southland. Matt, how the hell are you doing tonight? Doing pretty well, Bob. I hope The Flash tops your list. Yes, uh, The Flash. Uh, unfortunately, I believe I saw 33 films this year, and uh, The Flash was not one of them. I know that shocks you on a deep moral level. I saw That sounds like a song. I saw 33 films of The Flash ain't one of them. <laughs> you get the joke, Bob? 99? I got you. It's a, it's a hip-hop reference, man. Did I tell you, Matt, that I had to spend part of Christmas explaining to my nephew that Kanye West is not cool and that one should not wear his shoes? No, Bob, but, you know, thank you for educating the youth of America. He, it didn't take. He, he was not educated. Now you understand how my job works. <laughs> yes, I do. And I, I didn't even do it on a moral grounds, man. I was just, look, he's so dumb that he didn't stay on his meds and he dropped that bag. He fumbled that bag with Kim. That's dumb. That's not somebody you should want to be like. Just stay on meds, people. Don't worry, kids. He'll make a comeback, probably. I hope not. <laughs> Everybody loves a good underdog comeback story. All right. Well, uh, there's no Kanye West in any of the films I saw this year that I can remember for sure, in any of the 33 of them. But it's been in a film, Bob, in a long time. <laughs> I mean, a lot of rappers have made the transition, but not, not Kanye. And yeah, not 2023, um, no. To lead off the list with number 10, I'll let uh, Matt speak on this one since this is one uh, he actually saw as well. He claims that no one's ever heard of any of these films, but the very first one, number 10, he has himself seen. We dropped an episode on it. It's a They Clone Tyrone. But number 10 on the list, They Clone Tyrone. Uh, I enjoyed the film, like exploitation film, funny, science fiction. It was on Netflix. I It was actually advertised pretty well because I knew about it before you told me about it. So I, I will give you credit, Bob. This film was out there. People knew it existed in 2023. <laughs> The big three stars in it, John Boyega proving he can do something other than Star Wars. Uh, I know people liked him and stuff before Star Wars, but I just never saw Attack the Block. And then we have uh, Tayona Paris. She was great on Mad Men. She was fine in the Marvels, but she's great here. And then really 2023 was kind of a comeback year for Jamie Foxx, at least if your idea of a comeback is doing great performance in mid-tier streaming movies, then yes, it was a comeback year for Jamie Foxx. Uh, I wanted to put another film he was in called The Burial, which was on Prime on this list, but ultimately it just wasn't a good movie. Jamie Foxx has a great performance as a flamboyant lawyer in it. It's a 90s style lawyer movie, John Gresham style, a civil action style, but it just wasn't a very good film. But Jamie Foxx is great in it, and more importantly, he was great in They Clone Tyrone, and that's why it's on number 10. Everyone, we know Jamie Foxx did not have a very good 2023 this year. He was in the hospital for a good portion of it. Uh, but he's he's working his way back and should be in more movies soon, hopefully. Well, see, Matt, unlike you, I don't read the gossip rag, so I don't know this. Bob's like, here are all these great films. He made a real big comeback, but then he was like in the hospital for like two straight months. Two good performances in a year after not having been in something I'd seen in forever. That's a comeback. Like, what, what would be the right word to say if not comeback? The man is on our TV screens every day hosting Beach Shazam. I don't know what that is, but it sounds terrible. Oh, geez. Bob probably thinks it's Shazam, the, the, the DC Comics character. It's a show like 
Name that tune. Remember that show? Not really. Jeez. I can, yeah, a pop culture void. Matt, I don't uh, read the gossip rags, and I don't sit around during the daytime watching whatever variety show. It comes on at 8 o'clock on the evening, Bob. Anyway, the show, they play a portion of a song, and you have to guess what the song is. That's really all it is. Shazam, yeah. is, the, Shazam is an app that you start on your phone, and then it will identify any song within three okay. seconds. I have heard of that. You're beating the Shazam. You have to beat the, the machine by Matt, identifying I, the song before it does. I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to go to Wikipedia, oh. Jamie Foxx's filmography. I want you to look at the list of films he's been in since Django Unchained. So from 2013 to 2023, I want you to see how many of these you've even heard of, <laughs> see how many of these sound good and then i want you to look at the number of films he's in in 2023 take take my word for it that the performances in two of them are good then tell me why jamie fox didn't have a comeback in 2023 bob he was in spider-man no way home that's a good film was he even in that much or was he just a cameo no he was electro he gets kidnapped the Maybe. Black Godfather, a documentary about himself. He got interviewed in a documentary. <laughs> what the hell? He played Little John in Robin Hood? I don't know what that movie is. Bob, you've just opened up a whole can of craziness with Jamie Foxx. I'm just going to say, Matt, this is probably the wrong podcast to say it in, given that we mostly talk about nerd stuff. But uh, I, I consider it a low point for an actor when they're having to play in a, in a superhero movie. I don't consider Aww. that a high point. Dang, Bob. Well, I do want you to look at his TV, Bob. He was on doing Beat Shazam from 2017 to present today. I call that a loss. I, I don't call that great. <laughs> he was also apparently on eight episodes of some show called Dad, Stop Embarrassing Me. And the co-creator, writer, and executive producer. Man, he puts out a lot of stuff that I had no clue. Thanks, Bob. I have a lot to go watch from Jamie Foxx now. I appreciate it. Bob, right. what was your number nine? Moving on. Number nine. <laughs> a, a, a movie uh, Matt won't care about, but it's called The Boston Strangler. It's a neo-noir on Hulu. It's about two lady reporters played by Kiera Knightley and Carrie Coon. They're working through the morass of the famous 1960s serial murder case, you know, of the Boston Strangler. Uh, one of the Letterboxd reviewers joked that it was Zodiac with girls and Instagram filters, and that seems about right. Uh, I had a good time. Like I said, Matt won't watch this one because uh, he has a problem with uh, girl bosses going out there and capturing serial killers. I don't have a problem with Knightley. You know what that's from, Bob? I don't. <laughs> the Lonely Island, Bob. Jack Sparrow. I guess better what? that than a King Arthur reference. Since we just finished up with Christmas, Bob, I gotta let you know that Kira Knightley does a fantastic job in Love Actually, which is another film I watched this holiday season. By you watch, you mean your wife made you? Oh, no, I actually made her watch it. It's, it's a pretty good oh. Christmas movie, Bob. You should totally wow. it, it's Reversing it's, it's the stereotypes, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm proud Reversing of you. Reversing the stereotypes. It came out in 2003, though, and it's very obvious it came out in 2003. What makes it so obvious? Certain words that are used throughout the film that are uh, no longer acceptable uh, and that I don't want to uh, use on this podcast. Are they slurs for gay people? Gay people, people with special needs, yes. just about anything you can think of. Adam Sandler was still a cultural dominant in 2003, so yeah. we could say different things. Adam Sandler is the stick for which we determine whether or not something is okay to say. Okay, Bob. <laughs> no, no, not now, but in, in 2003. You're going to tell me he, he wasn't in 2003? He was around in 2003, Bob, but I just don't think he was the measuring stick for if you could say those words. I'm not saying, I'm not necessarily saying you ought to guide yourself by it, but I'm just saying in the late 90s and the early aughts, he was prominent and he was saying a lot of the, especially the, uh, the special needs slurs, shall we say. Yes, that's true. 
All right, Bob. All right, so well, Boston Strangler is number nine. Yeah. Hit me with number eight. Uh, hit, number eight is in a similar vein to number nine. It's also a little neo-noir. This one was on Netflix. Uh, it's called Reptile. It has Benicio Del Toro as a cop, Alicia Silverstone as his wife, and Justin Timberlake as a douchey real estate agent. He might not be the killer, but he's a douchey real estate agent nonetheless. Um, I really enjoyed all the layers of this. There's a lot of police corruption, a lot of real estate broker corruption, and it had some really interesting ways of making like your standard U.S. middle-class home seem creepy and abandoned with the way the director shot the film. So I had a good time with it. I actually watched the trailer for this one, Bob, uh, when it first came out, and I thought about watching it. I didn't know, is this something I could probably watch with my wife? I, I don't think I actually know enough about what your wife likes and doesn't like. Well, Bob, I'm going to let you go on a couple of dates with her and you can then let me know. I'm just doing it so I can recommend movies to you as a couple. It's a totally normal thing. Much appreciation. I, I, I mean, I, I, is, she, there anything, is, is it really like, is it super scary? Because it seemed a little scary at the, at the first, but she's not, she, she's not too big into jump scare type shit. None of that, right? There's like a couple of quote unquote jump scares, but they're like a mystery movies jump scares, not mm-hmm. a horror movie jump scare. Good call on this one, Bob. The one thing I will say, if I'm remembering right, this movie is about two and a half hours. Maybe that's why we didn't watch it. <laughs> a, a lot of people were saying that they felt like it was over long. I, I'll say that the filmmaking and the acting was good enough that I, I noticed the time, but it didn't bother me. You, you have a lot longer of an attention span than a lot of people, Bob. Which is a good transition to number seven, a movie that uh, Matt and his wife almost went to see in theaters, but then I made the terrible mistake, the awful mistake of informing them about the runtime, and I I deeply regret that. Matt, do you want to talk about number seven? This is Killers of the Flower Moon. It's the, uh, the Martin Scorsese film that dropped this year. You know, anything Martin Scorsese does is usually pretty good, so the ads for it looked great. The leads, Leo DiCaprio, Lily Gladstone, they were... I like them. I was thinking this would be a great film to go watch. She was interested in it when she saw the commercials. Three and a half hours, Bob. I just can't do it. I went to see it with two friends. Uh, None of us thought it dragged at all. One of those friends had already seen it once that week uh, because she wanted to prove that she was more toxically masculine than I was, and I respect that. Uh, You and the wife should watch it when it hits Apple TV. Uh, you could break it up and <laughs> treat it like a miniseries if you wanted. Uh, respect to the theaters in Germany who were putting an intermission in the film, which just is like a matter of simple human courtesy because some of us need to go relieve ourselves. Um, that would be <laughs> that would be a good thing. Scorsese and the studio sued the German theaters for putting the uh, for putting the intermission in the film. But once it hits Apple TV, Matt, you can put your own intermission in the film. If an intermission wasn't built into the film, I can understand Scorsese's perspective on this. Because an intermission forces everyone in the theater to stop watching the film that they're invested in, take a break, and then come back. Whereas if you actually have to go to the bathroom, you know, you could get up at any point during the film. You don't know what you're all, you're missing a, a small bit. Whereas, like, everybody's having to stop this investment to go to the bathroom. But I would say, though, that long, like in the silent film era, much longer films than now were standard. Not yeah. always, but they were, they were more common than they are now. Intermissions were built in in the same way that operas and plays have intermissions. I don't think you can go over three hours and not give people an intermission. It's only intentionally built places within. Scorsese should build to that 
intermission and not have a German theater just randomly decided. Or yeah. I'm sure not randomly, but decided. Yeah, they, they found a certain spot where... You have to do it, man. As much as I like this film, there's nothing about it that depends on you being in your seat for three and a half hours for it to work. Going to the bathroom and flushing the toilet and saying hey to somebody isn't going to ruin... It's not answer. that kind of movie. Like, uh, Reptile is more that kind of movie where it doesn't need an intermission because it's only like two and a half hours, but... It's building sustained tension. Not that there's not suspense and unease in Killers of the Flower Moon, but I don't think it runs off this kind of propulsive tension that you're saying an intermission would ruin. Well, that was the big deal with that film, though, when it came out. Everybody was talking about it. Let me say one other thing about it. My favorite uh, foreign policy podcast, it's two historians who do it. It's called American Prestige. They had an interview with a a dude from the Osage uh, Nation that consulted on this film because it's set on Osage territory in Oklahoma. It's about Osage people having oil money getting exploited by unscrupulous white people. One of the things the consultant did was he uh, apparently helped Scorsese and the screenwriters and the actors get a lot of the Osage language into the film. So there's whole scenes when both DiCaprio and Gladstone, who are married, are talking to each other in Osage, which was really cool. I, I, I wish I knew had known more about the language or more about the culture of the Osage before going into the film. But it was a neat departure for Scorsese. Now we're going to go ahead and hit a point in your list where you're going to recommend a lot of films that involve kaiju. It was a good year for uh, Japanese movies, or at least for Japanese movies being released in the U.S., I should say. Two of these were released last year in Japan, but you couldn't see them in the U.S. till this year. Uh, so number six, this is the one that's gotten the most hype. It's done really well at the box office here at the end of 2023, and I had a really good time with it. It's uh, Godzilla Minus One. It's a prequel or a remake uh, of the original Godzilla, both a prequel and a remake. I know that sounds terrible. It's much better than that sounds. Despite all the deserved praise Godzilla Minus One has been getting, the movie is a little overlong. It's a little too sentimental, and it's a little too pro-Japan should rearm to stop China. I I prefer the last Japanese Godzilla movie. Um, the American Godzilla movies don't count. They're abominations. They should not exist. But the last Japanese Godzilla movie was Shin Godzilla in 2016, which was a, a pretty tight little political satire. So I liked Shin better than Godzilla Minus One. Still, this is a really fun movie. You and the wife would like it when it hits streaming. I really do need to get into watching some kaiju, but there's so many options, and I just don't know. It's like approaching comic books. There's just so much out there. The great thing about Godzilla movies is that there is a continuity but it, unlike comics where it sometimes matters and sometimes doesn't, it almost never matters in a Godzilla movie. So you and the listeners, if you want to watch Godzilla films, just watch any Japanese Godzilla film and you'll, you'll probably have a good time. Some of them are terrible. Most are not. Most are great. Uh, but never watch an American Godzilla film. They're abominations. Americans cannot do Godzilla, according to Bob. You know what the best American Godzilla film is, Matt? No Godzilla movie. No, the Taco Bell commercial from the late 90s. That's the only good American Godzilla film. So uh, how about number five, Matt? Number five, Bob, you're moving into territory that I am somewhat familiar with. Uh, Shin Kamen Rider. They reused a ton of footage for a show on uh, Fox when we were watching Kids WB or whatever that crap was back in the was day. Was it VR Troopers? It wasn't different? VR Troopers. It, it was, was the one where they had Big Bad Beetleborgs. It was The Masked Rider. I don't know if I ever actually watched that, but I remember the title. He looked like a bug. 
and he rode a motorcycle. Yeah, that's what Kamen Rider is. He's a Japanese superhero in an insect suit on a motorcycle. Other than maybe having seen The Mass Rider as a kid and seeing some of those other shows that you listed off that are somewhat influenced by Kamen Rider, this is really my first exposure to Kamen Rider. Matt, have you ever heard of this Shin series? Because I just mentioned Shin Godzilla, even though it came out a few years ago. Have you have you heard of the Shin series? No. What, what does this mean? Um, it's a Japanese term that apparently means uh, a, a lot of different things. The translation that stuck with me was God, but it also can mean higher level or mm-hmm. highest level. Uh, we've come up on the anniversaries of four big um, Japanese uh, science fiction franchises. The four franchises are Godzilla, Kamen Rider, Ultraman, who we'll talk about in a minute, and then Evangelion, which we won't talk about because I don't know anything about it. So they put out four movies, um, which have a lot of the same people working on each, that are the ultimate version of that character and a standalone movie that's a tribute to the whole history of the franchise. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like extremely accessible to anyone, is what you're saying. It's basically the absolute opposite of the MCU. We'll talk about that a little more with Shin Ultraman too. but in Shin Kamen Rider, uh, you get to see Kamen Rider wreck some uh, bat ogs and some wasp ogs. I had a, you know, with ogs as in augments. Uh, I had a really great time with this. So it's Batman in a bug suit on a motorcycle, uh, kicking. It's worth watching. It's on Prime. Does he still have that sword that's really cylindrical? I don't think he did but i watched this in the summer and that detail is faint i'm sorry bob you don't remember the shape of his sword jeez i remember the shape of something else man. number four you've already spilled for our audience shin ultraman that i think this is really a model for what u.s superhero movies should be it packs like what the u.s would make a, a whole trilogy into under two hours you see ultraman fight aliens you see him fight kaiju you see him deal with government bureaucracy and the press rather similar to uh, shin godzilla it's great i've really had a good time it's slightly better than common rider my boys and i when we watched common rider the trailer got us real psyched and shin ultraman and shin godzilla had us real psyched and even though we liked shin common rider it didn't quite live up to shin ultraman and shin godzilla let me just again stress that if you like me i'm very familiar with godzilla but i had no knowledge of common rider and ultraman going into these movies you don't need them uh you can jump in with any of these Shin movies or any Godzilla movies and have a great time. So Bob Ultraman, in case you're wondering was actually, they reused footage from that show for superhuman samurai cyber squad. I heard of that one, but I think it came out a little later while we were sort of maturing off the power Rangers shows. Yeah, we were sort of maturing off that. That's right. So we just didn't watch it or, or you didn't watch it. I did. Sorry. Superman I didn't mean samurai to force you into cyber squad came on every uh, morning at seven o'clock. And you remember the theme song, too. That's impressive. That is awesome. Number three is the complete opposite of um, these big Japanese science fiction extravaganzas. And the complete opposite of the neo-noirs I've brought up, like Killers of the Flower Moon, Reptile, and Boston Strangler. It's uh, just a simple little movie about artists in uh, Portland. It's a good little comedy about artistic rivalry, renting apartments. Um, I would call it a comedy, but it's not laugh out loud funny. It's a little fainter and a little kind of softer than that. Um, It's directed by Kelly Reichardt, who's one of my favorite uh, contemporary American directors. She mostly does movies about the Northwest. She gets good actors to 
tell unconventional stories. And there's a lot of cool animals in this film too. Kelly Reichardt always has good animals, good dogs, good horses, what have you. Uh, she's made a couple Westerns, but uh, this one has a pigeon that the two rival artists are trying to uh, rehab. It's basically just a film about Portland hipsters taking care of a pigeon. The name of the film is showing up. Showing up, <laughs> number three. All right, number two, Bob, how to blow up a pipeline. You uh, you and the wife definitely won't watch Showing Up, I'm sure, even though you probably wouldn't hate it. Uh, you should watch Killers of the Flower Moon. You should watch Reptile and Boston Strangler. I, I really think you should watch How to Blow Up a Pipeline. It's a really riveting movie. First of all, it's a propaganda film about the necessity of sabotage to stop fossil fuel companies from cooking the planet. But it avoids being preachy, and it just presents the sabotage operation like it was a heist film. So it's a lot of great suspense of the heist of the sabotage, and it's got some lovely Western scenery to boot. It was my second favorite movie this year, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. You have, you have such eclectic taste, Bob. So many options. The number final one, movie, Bob. Matt, is number one with a bullet. It's an Infinity Pool. The premise of this is what if rich people had access to an Eastern European country that had Krakoa resurrection technology like in X-Men? Uh, that's the premise. It's another great movie from the son of the great body horror director David Cronenberg. Now, David Cronenberg's work is some of my favorite film work of all time, so I'm not prepared to say that his son Brandon is as good as his father, uh, but I have really liked all three of Brandon's movies, and I like this the most of the, the three movies he's made. Um, I heard some people incorrectly give bad reviews of this movie, so I didn't force it on my friends. I watched it alone. I also watched How to Blow Up a Pipeline alone because I was afraid uh, that would be preachy and crappy, and so I didn't want to make my friends watch it. <laughs> but both turned out to be great. They turned out to be my top two movies of the year. And on one hand, I was sad I didn't have my friends with me to watch it. On the other hand, I was very happy that I didn't have uh, my friends with me to watch Infinity Pool because uh, there is a scene towards the end that I don't want to spoil that got me really, really horned up. And I didn't need to share that moment with anyone. I just needed to be there with myself. Well, well thanks for letting everybody know that went down. So appreciate it. <laughs> it's right, on Bob, Hulu, so by the way. I want to, to take a moment, Bob, to read you the best new movies of 2023 according to Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Oh my God! Hit All me, right, man. the first film, their number one was the first slam dunk. Is that a this? sports comedy? It says a heart pumping, breathtaking, wonderful crafted manga adaptation of the first slam dunk shoots and scores. So it's like a sports manga adaptation. Number two, Bob, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I I did not see that, but I'm aware that it exists. Number three is Blackberry. Blackberry takes a terrifically entertaining look at the rise and fall of a generation-defining gadget, the Blackberry. The oh, oh, it really is about the about yeah. the pager or whatever. There's no way in hell I'm watching that. You're gonna die here, Bob. Number four, Godzilla Hit minus me, one. Stop, stop, clock, right twice a day, Matt. Rye Lane is number five. Good news, rom-com fans. Anyone looking for a smart, funny, and heartwarming new addition? to the canon can find it on watching on Rye Lane. I'm not going to watch that, but the diversity of American movies in terms of genre has yeah. really suffered in the 21st century. There, there need to be more romantic comedies. There need to be more raunchy sex comedies. I'm glad they made a, a romantic comedy that people like. I'm not going to watch it, but I'm glad it's out there. The film industry has gotten way too focused on blockbusters, and you need a lot more genre diversity as well as your diversity of uh, people behind the camera and in front of the camera. Number six was Fallen Leaves. 
In a modern day Helsinki, two lonely souls in search of love meet by chance in a local karaoke bar. That is Finnish. Oh, we've got Joyland. The Beasts, number eight. Joyland's a Pakistani film. I should watch that. Then number nine, Full Time. Number ten, The Taste of Things. The first movie and that I've watched is number 24, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. The Beast is a Spanish film. Do you have one of those bleeding cool lists to trigger me with? What you just proved is that Rotten Tomatoes has more eccentric and pretentious taste than I do. I, I feel like that's what you proved with that list. It's very yeah. diverse as far yeah. as genre goes. In a certain sense, my list is not that diverse. It's two sci-fi horror films, uh, four neo-noirs, and uh, a, a comedy and uh, three kaiju movies. One major omission, well, I don't know if it would be an omission because I don't love the director, but uh, Yorgos Lanthimos who did The Lobster and The Favorite. He has a movie out this uh, holiday season called Poor Things. I wanted to see, but it was only at a theater chain that I despise in Seattle before I left. And uh, of course, wasn't playing in uh, Georgia. I haven't had time to see it since I've gotten back to Seattle. Here's an IGN best movies of 2023 list. They usually just rank theirs and have the fans vote. Right. Runner up was John Wick, Chapter 4. Boo. What, one thing I think needs to be addressed, Matt, is people say that the MCU is ruining cinema, and they're not wrong, but John Wick is ruining cinema, too. I have watched so many movies that would be fine, except for the fact that they're heavily influenced by John Wick, and they just turn to crap. Uh, there was this action movie with Santa Claus uh, last year called Violent Night that I was hoping would be fun, but no, it sucked. It was just a John Wick ripoff. Another movie that uh, I was hoping would be good this year was Renfield with Nick Cage as Dracula. You would not think it, but Renfield with Nick Cage as Dracula was just a John Wick ripoff. Written by the <laughs> stupid writer of The Walking Dead, Robert Kirkman. God, I hated Aww. that movie. Well, the other runner-up was Killers of the Flower Moon, which we've discussed. Here's one you didn't say, Bob. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. The reason I didn't say it, Matt, is that movie made me sit two and a half hours in the theaters, nearly three hours, and then it gave me a cliffhanger. I was not pleased. <laughs> you didn't want another film? I'm fine with another film, but I'm not, I'm not so fine with... It's going to be three years till the resolution of this cliffhanger comes out. Here's a story that didn't need to be three hours, stretched into three hours to be continued. Now, that said, the animation was gorgeous, of course. Well, Bob, your runner-up, Oppenheimer, didn't say anything about that? I didn't see Oppenheimer. <laughs> a guy whose uh, opinions I somewhat trust gave a glowing review of it that made me somewhat wished I'd seen it. Just, yeah. I, I don't think I would have agreed with him, but it was, a, it was an interesting, glowing review. Here's some other things people were voting on. They were voting on Talk to Me, which is a horror movie that I've heard a lot about, but I don't know. I just have not been interested to see. They were talking about Joyride, which we already discussed. They were talking about The Boy and the Heron, which is uh, the new Miyazaki anime. And they were talking about Poor Things, which was uh, the Yorgos Lanthimos film that I wanted to see and haven't had a chance to see. They were also talking about Asteroid City, which is the new Wes Anderson film, which I made it through an hour of uh, last night, and then I turned off because Tom Hanks sucks, Matt. Tom Hanks is terrible, 
and it's especially bad when you're watching Tom Hanks do Wes Anderson's awful dialogue that's a mocking of one of the best American playwrights, Sam Shepard. I have no use in seeing Tom Hanks do subpar parody of Sam Shepard. So that's a Asteroid City. Not even once, folks. Well, Bob, I have seen the number one movie on IGN. You have? It is Barbie. I have not. Do you think it uh, should be the number one film, Matt? It's something, Bob. I was entertained yeah. the whole time. It, it has multiple messages. I think I've said this before on the podcast. A lot of different messages coming from it. Yeah, the Barbie's new uh, January 6th, and it works. I didn't see Barbie, but I did enjoy all the memes that Barbie and Oppenheimer gave us. I thought it was a good year for memes, and I enjoyed the friendly rivalry between Barbie and Oppenheimer, even though I declined to watch either. <laughs> there you have it. We've had your top 10 list. We've looked at other top 10 lists or, or high-ranking list of movies in 2023. Any films you particularly enjoyed this year, Matt, that we didn't talk about? No, Bob, I think we covered pretty much everything. I thought you were going to make a strong case for Blue Beetle, Matt. No, Bob, I'm not. (laughs) That movie was fun, but The Flash came out too, Bob. Return of Michael Keaton's Batman. Oh, and the movie we just saw, Bob, was pretty good. Bob was down for Christmas. Uh, The Iron Iron Claw. I I forgot about it, but before I forgot about it, I was wondering if you were going to give me crap for not putting the Iron Claw on the list. And I was conflicted, but I enjoyed They Clone Tyrone more than the Iron Claw, but Arguably the Iron Claw. It's got narrative flaws too, but arguably it has fewer of them than they clone Tyrone. I, I enjoyed the Iron Claw. So that wraps it up for 2023, and we are going to do a coverage of your top TV shows, correct? Yeah, we'll do it next week. I, there's one last show that I, I've got eight more episodes to watch, so I'll finish okay. it this week. All right. I'm not even sure if it's going to go on the list, but in, in case it does, I would like to finish it. I might, I might put All together right. a top five, Bob, top five list for TV since I watch more TV than films. I don't know if mine is actually top 10. You'll have some counter. Currently, I have eight shows on my TV list. I'm not sure if the show I'm currently watching will make uh, the list. But I think you're going to argue that three of the shows already on my list are cheating. So I look forward to that (laughs) argument. All righty. I look forward to it too, Bob. Well, happy new year to uh, all our listeners in Uncanny Tracks. We've had a we've had a slow holiday season as we had to catch up on stuff, but we'll be back uh, with greater force in the new year. Uh, we hope everybody joins us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.